thank them for always leading us into the presence of God. It's so awesome. My name is Jennifer. I wanted to welcome you to City Church today. Welcome all of our first-time visitors. We're so glad that you're here today. Um, if, you, if this is your first time here with us, there should be a number that will come up on the screen. You can text the word guest, um, and we can get in contact with you that way. We can give you more information if you have any questions about us, and we'd love to get to know you. Um, is it working? Yes, good. And then also, um, this is the same way that you can give your tithes and offerings. You'll, te you'll text the word give to the same number. Um, and we know that um, God does amazing things when we relinquish what he's already given to us, that he can multiply these things and do amazing things for his kingdom, right? Um, so for announcements, um, let's see, sorry. Um, water baptisms will be Sunday, March 12th, after service, after service in the annex, across the way. Um, if you are interested in being water baptized, please contact the church office. And then Connect class is Sunday, March 12th, after the baptism. Um, if you're new to City Church and would like to find out more about us, discover how to get involved, um, the Connect class is for you. So for more information or to sign up, please also contact the church office. Thank you all very much. Here's Jeff. worship this morning. Um, it is good to sing songs about the character of God and all that he does um, and just remind ourselves of his character. He doesn't need to be reminded. I mean, we're singing worship songs and he's like, yep, that's right. That's right. And, uh, but it, it stirs something up inside of us, a faith that's, that's there. Hey, I, I want to brag on a couple of things. Um, first thing is, um, uh, the garage sale raised $1,500. Yeah. And on top of that, it emptied out a big space in our annex. <laughs> you, you don't realize how much stuff you accumulate over time, but uh, uh, that was awesome. And uh, so if you helped with the, the garage sale, I just want you to raise your hand real quick. Oh. They're all tired out. No, <laughs> Let, let's just thank, thank them for all their hard work. I know uh, like Friday morning, uh, they were knocking on the door at 630 uh, to get in here and get everything set up and stuff. Now, if you're a garage sailor, you are like serious. I, I saw some ladies uh, and a couple of men come up, like they're setting stuff up and they like, they drive by and they're like, oh, it's a garage sale. And, and it was like this magnet just pulled them into the parking lot and they're out and we're, we're setting stuff out and they're like, you could tell that they're, they're figuring, they're calculating all the values in, in their head as they're going through and stuff. And, and so there were, the, there were just the casual ones that were like, man, there's this or this. And then there was ones that were looking for something specific. And then there were those that were like the pros. And they knew how much everything was worth. And they're like, oh, they didn't set it up right. They should have put this table over here because that gathers more people. 
It was crazy, but it was awesome as well. Uh, and then uh, we talked about the baptism uh, next week. Uh, we are actually installing a uh, tankless hot water heater in the annex so that we can do the baptism next week. So praise God that we have the money to do that and, and uh, that uh, Elijah will have some warm water to get into. <laughs> um, it won't be uh, super cold. I also want to, uh, to talk about the Connect class. Uh, we're actually changing the... Uh, the curriculum, you might say, uh, for the Connect class. If you're new here and you've never been to a Connect class, maybe you're old here and you've never been to a Connect class, I want to invite you next week. Uh, it'll be after the baptism, so we'll have the service, then we'll all go over there for the baptism, and then we'll go into the commons. Uh, there's lunch provided, and we're going to go through and we're going to talk a little bit about the church, uh, kind of our vision, uh, a little bit about our uh, values, uh, and then how you can kind of become more integrated into the church and, and find your place. I mean, what we want at City Church is we want everybody to be able to come in, um, know God. So if they don't know God, that we want them to know God. And then we want them to find freedom because we carry, everybody, everybody carries baggage with them. And some people have a small little pouch, maybe a fanny pack, and it, and it just adds a little extra weight. You don't really notice it. Some people come in and they're like hunched over and they're like carrying baggage from their entire life. And so you can find freedom in that in our small groups uh, where you meet with uh, a small group of people and you can really open your heart with them. And then the third thing we want is we want to uh, discover our purpose because God made us for a purpose. And then the last thing we want to do is we want to make a difference. So we want to find out, uh, Mark Twain says, the two most important days that you were uh, the two most important days of your life are when you were born and when you find out why. And a lot of people, like they were born, and they've never found out why they were born. And so God wants to stir up something in your heart, stir up some passion in your heart, and then have you make a difference in other people's lives and have them go through the same process that you went through. So that's next week at the Connect class. Uh, the last thing, well, second to last thing, is... Uh, the pastoral search, uh, the board has video con or like video interviewed uh, two couples. Uh, both couples are great couples. Uh, one is from Kansas and one is from Canada, Ontario. Uh, the ones from Ontario are actually on sabbatical in Italy right now. I mean, toughing it out in this little town on the, on the coast and stuff. So we were actually talking with them and they're in this like uh, house that some friend of their owns, a friend of theirs owns, and uh, I'm, I'm looking in the background and it's like very Italian feel and, and nice and stuff. And I'm thinking, man, maybe we should go in-person video or in-person interview them there. So uh, they are going to be here in April. I am not, when they come, they're going to meet with the board. They're going to meet with some of the leadership team with our staff. And then uh, we'll have them preach. I'm not going to get up and say, hey, this is a candidate for the past. Like... We're just, I'm just going to introduce them as who they are, and then um, don't be asking them all sorts of questions when they come, okay? Just, they're, they're going to be, like, overwhelmed, because as much as we're interviewing them, they're interviewing us as well. And so just love on them. Just uh, treat them with kindness. And we don't know if either couple is supposed to be our pastor. That's part of the reason why we're bringing them in. And so we're trying to get some other people in the pipeline so that we can video interview them and then that way if these one of these first
two couples is not the right couple for us, then we have some more that we're already kind of working through. So we are working on it. How many of you understand that we do not want the wrong pastor? Yeah, so, so we're going to be choosy. Um, we're not going to be like, oh, you volunteered? Great, you're the pastor. That's not the way it's going to be. Uh, that would be very awkward. We, and Paul Palmer, I thought, said it the best. Uh, Paul is on our board. He also plays drums. Uh, he said, um, we don't want in two or three years to look at our church and not recognize it. Like, we want to bring someone in, and in two or three years, it's the vision that we have. Like, like they've led us into that vision. So, everybody say amen. Yeah. Ooh, that was a good amen. You guys are awake this morning. Must be all the sun and the cold weather is like starting to die out and stuff. Last thing I want to say is about worship. Worship, um, worship is like, we took our kids to the beach in San Diego a few years ago, and they had never seen the ocean. And watching them go up to the water... They'd, they'd go up, and they'd go to the edge, and the surf would come in, and they'd back up. And they'd turn around and look at us. And we're like, and then they'd get onto it, and then the surf would come in, and it would tickle their toes, and they'd, ah, like their, their arms would go up, and, and they'd look back, and we're like, yeah, get out into it. And then pretty soon, um, the surf comes in, and they're up to their knees, and, and, it's, and it's pushing them this way, and it's pushing them that way, and, and their eyes are getting big and stuff, and, and then pretty soon the waves are coming in, and they're diving into the waves, and, and they're swimming around. You know what? That, that's what dipping into the Holy Spirit is like. That's what dipping into the presence of God is like, is at first you're like, oh my gosh, this tickles my toes, and I don't like this. It's awkward. And you turn around and you, you look like, is this okay? And God's wanting to do something. He's wanting us to get in the water. And, and we understand it takes time. There are going to be some back steps and there's going to be some forward steps. And there's going to be turning around and running away from... You know, that's okay. We're, 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 a, we're kids. We're kids learning how to get in the surf. And so I just want to encourage you. This morning, I, I just, I love the heart of worship. And Cinnamon and I talked on Thursday night just about, uh, and, and we've been talking as a worship team, like how can we open up more opportunities for the presence of God? And so today just, it felt like, hey, maybe it went over our feet a little bit. I'll tell you, it hasn't got waist deep yet. And we haven't dived in yet. And so that, that day's coming. All right. Do I get another amen? That's, a, that's an even better amen. Awesome. Let me just make this a little bigger. My eyesight is getting worse. And I'm praying for it. Okay, we're going to continue our sermon in Romans. Romans chapter 5. Thank you, Yo, for preaching on Romans chapter 4. Um, it is good to have a day off uh, and to, uh, uh, to just take a breather and stuff and you, you get really focused and stuff. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now, what Jesus did is he opened a door for us. We still have to walk in. 
Like we can't stand on the outside and kind of look in and no, nah, I don't want to go there. We have to actually go into that door. And what we see is, is somewhat familiar, but then as we look at what's behind that door, there's also like things that are uncomfortable, things that don't, like we're used to our way of life and we're used to the way God does or the way that we do things. And, and then God comes along and God likes to mess stuff up. He likes to move that chair and put it in front of us. And we're like, no, God, I want to move it back over here. And I, like, I oh, used to drive me crazy. When we were first married, um, I would come home and Sarah would move a chair. And I'm an engineer and expectation is everything to me. And so I'm driving home and I'm already thinking about that chair. I'm already thinking, sitting in that chair, um, uh, maybe it's in front of the fireplace or maybe it's in front of the TV or whatever. And Sarah's like, she needs a little change every once in a while. She has to use that creativity and stuff. And so she'd go in and, and I'd walk in and I'm like, why'd you move the chair? What she wanted to hear is, oh, you moved the chair. Early on in marriage, husbands are oblivious, just saying. I learned, mostly. Every once in a while, I'm like, what is this? But we, we, we've learned how to communicate that. Then you go to verse 3. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So a big phrase in here is hope does not get put to shame. If you hope in Jesus, like God's just not going to leave you out in the cold. You're not going to stand out in faith and seek God and seek his presence and he's going to let you down. He, he's going to show up because God is even more faithful to his people than we are to him. But this scripture is actually very similar to a scripture in James that says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So let me give you a quote by Craig Grishel. He says, If we aren't changing, we aren't growing. If we aren't changing, we aren't growing. So if you like going home and doing the same thing every day, you're not growing. If you're not putting yourself in a sense of pain and suffering and discipline, you're not growing because you're not changing. You're just doing the same thing over and over again. Some people call it retirement. And, and, and we think, oh, I'm gonna work and then I'm just gonna go do what I wanna do for the rest of our life. And if you're a follower of Christ, God steps in. He says, oh, no, no, no. I got other plans for you. But even right now, like we're like, okay, God, I'm going to really give to you at work. And then when I get home, I'm going to give to my family. But that time from nine o'clock to 11 o'clock, that's my TV time. And, and then one day God comes along and he says, um, I want you to change something. And whenever God wants you to change something, he's wanting you to grow. Because growth requires pain and growth requires change it's interesting that Paul says so he goes through and he says consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance 
And then he begs them and he says, let perseverance finish its work. Let it finish its work. You can't just persevere and then stop halfway in the middle and feel like, okay, I've done it. You have to go all the way through the process. You can't hit the eject button in the middle of pain, in the middle of trials, in the middle of struggle and be okay. What's going to happen is you're going to get one of two things. You can either press into God and embrace the difficulty and you can grow. So are you teachable? Um, can you be corrected? Can you, uh, can someone come into you and say, you know, this is something I've seen with you. You have kind of bad language. Has anybody ever told you that? The ones, the ones that have been told that don't want to admit it. I mean, bad language is like, I would never curse in church. I might curse in my car, but never in church. So when you get confronted, when you go through a trial, when you go through a struggle, do you leave? Oh, I don't like that church because they make me feel uncomfortable. Ah, that word comfort. You know what I mean? We like to be comfortable. We like comfort. We like feeling good. And the first time that something comes along and, and, and nudges us more toward God, or we go through a trial, we're like, well, God wouldn't put me through trials. Oh, yeah? Look at David. David was, under, David was anointed as the future king of Israel, and the current king of Israel, Saul, threw spears at him trying to kill him, chased him into the desert trying to kill him. And David had an opportunity where he went and he actually cut off the hem of Saul's robe in a cave and he could have killed him right there. And then he comes to Saul, he says, see, I could have killed you. And Saul was still angry with him. David could have said, God, this is so unjust, I'm leaving. I'm not gonna be an Israelite anymore. I'm done with this. You can take that kingship and you can move it along. But he embraced it. So much so, he didn't even become bitter. Think about that. He did not even become bitter towards Saul. If anything, he weighed on the other side so that when a messenger came and told David that Saul, had died, that Saul was killed, David killed that messenger. Do we do that with our enemies? Do we do that with, the, with those that persecute us? How about Jesus? He was out in the desert. He went through the trials. His life was not easy he could have said, God, you are so unjust. I got all these Pharisees breathing down my neck, threatening, threatening to kill me. I got disciples who are questioning things and they, they follow me one day and they don't follow me the next. How about Saul? Saul says, I've been shipwrecked twice and I've been put in jail and I've been uh, lashed with a whip. Like we can say God is unjust. And God says, yes, but I want you to change. I want you to persevere and don't give up on that perseverance. I want you to rise up and I want to turn you into what I want you to be. Because the way you are now, you can't fulfill the purposes that I have in plan for you, as planned for you. And we hit the eject button, we're like, boom, new church. Boom, new family. Boom, new job. God, I don't like my boss. I'm done. I'm not going to persevere through this. My first job when Sarah and I were married, th this is all free by the way, I'm just, I'm just like, <laughs> I'm going. 
My first job at Sandia National Labs was going into a water closet and taking these plastic parts that they had made in a 3D printer and I had to sand them for eight hours a day. Yeah, yeah. you think it's bad sitting there? <laughs> now, I'd sit there. The first day was okay. And the first week was like, hmm, I don't know if I really like this. And, and Sarah and I were newly married. I literally started the job two weeks after we got married. It, and, and like God opened this door. The day before our wedding, I get the notification that I got the job. And I called the manager and he says, I'd like you to start in two weeks. So I'm sitting in this water closet. Uh, and when I say water closet, it was like a hot water heater. It was a sink and my stool. That's all it was. It stunk. I mean, it was bad. I was bored out of my mind. And so I would go to school. And then when school was over, I was like, I got to go work. And I'd get those parts and I'd sand them. On top of it, I had a boss that could see the smallest little defect in what I did. And he loved, like he loved to poke on it. He loved to say, Jeff, you missed a spot here. I want to punch you in the face. And I went home after about a month. Like, I, I made it through a month. And I'm like, I am, I've made it through a month. And I went home and I, I said, Sarah, I can't do this anymore. I am bored out of my mind. I don't know what I'm going to do. And uh, we prayed. And God spoke to me these words. If you leave, I will not give you another job. Well, fine. <laughs> That's not in the Bible. I mean, like, where, where's the blessings? Where's the, I have purposes for you and stuff. So, and, and I mean, it was like, it wasn't just like, Jeff, if you leave, you're not. It was like, Jeff, you're, if you leave. I mean, it was the, that actually kind of sounded like the Ten Commandments thing. It was like that, that voice, like, I knew in my heart of hearts that I was not supposed to leave that job. Right now I'm wondering if I'm even gonna to get to the second half of my sermon. But in, in my heart of hearts, I knew I wasn't supposed to leave that job. And I went back that next, that next Monday and I was broken up. I mean, I walked in and you had to pick my chin up off the floor. I just was like, it was horrible. And, and first thing my boss, he's like, Hey, I was looking at this part, and you missed this area over here. And I was just like, fine. Like, it broke something in me. And, and I was mad at God. And then I'm, we're driving by this place by our, our apartment, and it was called Archie's Books on Tape. And I was like, oh, maybe I could listen to a book on tape. So I started getting books on tape. And I'd listen to books on tape, and I would get through a book in about two days of work after school. And... And it, and it was like, I got to go through all the classics and the John Grisham novels and stuff. And then I started listening to pastor's sermons. And then I started listening to Christian books. And, and I must have gone through 1,500 books. I was in that job for a year and a half. A year and a half. And in that time, God, like, broke something in me. It was pride. It was pride. And it was also assuming... 
It was, he was breaking in my mind that everything was always going to be rosy and nothing was going to be difficult in the kingdom of God. But what God was doing in that time is he was putting his word in me. And I'm listening to these preachers and I'm listening to, I was leading worship and leading a youth group at the same, with Sarah at the same time. And God's putting stuff into me as I'm, as I'm going through this. You know what? That's when our worship really started to take off. And it's when the youth group really started to grow. Because God was growing something inside of me. And he wants to grow something inside of you. And if we just hit the eject button every time something gets hard, then we're not listening to Paul where he says, please let perseverance finish its work in you. Because the second thing that happens is we go around the mountain again. If we don't learn it that first time, we're going to leave that job and we're going to go to this other job and we're going to face it again. We're going to do it all over again. And you know what? God's going to bring us another bad boss. Why is it everywhere I go I have bad bosses? Well, maybe you're a bad employee or maybe God's just giving you the blessing of a bad boss. And God's wanting to, like he's wanting to do something inside of you. Throw out that eject button. Take a big sledgehammer and, and beat it down. And stop, stop doing that. Here's what happens. Every time we go around the mountain, our heart gets a little harder. And it takes more to get past it. It's interesting that the Israelites, how many times did they go around the desert in 40 years? I think by walking, I don't know the exact amount of time, but I think it's like a month or a month and a half to get from Egypt to Israel through the desert. A month and a half. And they spent 40 years wandering around and wandering around and fighting armies and, and seeing miracles and, and nothing and nothing. And God's finally like, I'm going to have to not allow any of you into the land of promise because you are not willing to be in the crucible of God. You're not willing to be in the pressure cooker, in the oven, in the hard place, under that big old rock that you carry with you all the time. God wants to do something inside of you. Here's a quote, and I tried to look up to see who said this quote, and I, I could, actually couldn't find it. Most people don't want to be a part of the process. They just want to be part of the outcome. But the process is where you find out who's worthy or who's worth being part of the outcome. You can't be that great preacher if you haven't gone through the great trials. One of the questions that I asked our pastoral candidates, um, I forgot to ask the second set, but I asked the first set and I said, what is the hardest thing that you went through in ministry? And man, they just poured out um, their heart and what they had struggled with. And the wife, she had gone through accusations from church members and their church actually uh, like took 100 people out of their church and, and left. And she was kind of at the center of it and, and had false accusations. You know what? There wasn't an ounce of bitterness in what she said. There was a recognition of pain. And then the husband, he was like, COVID was so hard because um, all the political arguments that we were having and, and, and the church wanting to split and trying to be in the middle of that and stuff. 
You know, there was something that when you, when you see someone that's gone through pain, they tend to be softer. Have you noticed that? Or they tend to be harder. You can choose. You have the choice. Am I going to be harder or am I going to be softer? Am I going to choose uh, the way of the Israelites and go in, this, in the uh, desert for 40 years? Or am I going to choose the other way and I'm going to soften my heart and I'm going to forgive those that persecute me and I'm going to move on and I'm going to press into God and say, God, do with me as you will. Because God's wanting to, to do something inside of you. Can I just say that maybe the problem's you and not God and not your manager? You know what I mean? I watch young people go from relationship to relationship to relationship and constantly be like, oh, well, he didn't treat me this way or she didn't treat me that way or, or whatever. Maybe the problem's you. Maybe, maybe you're the issue. We gotta press into God. Here's what Jesus said. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the pioneer of their salvation. So it's talking about Jesus, perfect through what he suffered. That word perfect doesn't mean perfect the way we think of it. It means complete. It means mature. It means, it's like uh, you make a pot and you go through the whole process and you put it in the oven and it has to go into the oven for it to harden and to be able to be used for what it needs to be used for. And God's wanting to do that with you. And so right now, there's many of you that have gifts that are great, amazing gifts. You, God's formed you as a pot. God's formed you in a particular shape. Maybe it's a pitcher. Um, maybe it's decorative. Maybe you're just supposed to stand there and look beautiful. Maybe it's a tool. Maybe it's a bowl. Whatever it is. But you still have to go through the fire in order to be used for that purpose. Otherwise... When, when it gets used, it's just going to fold up and crack and break and fall apart. And it's going to dry out. And so maybe some of you are just dried out. And you're like, God, why don't you use me? And God says, every time I try and put you in the furnace, you jump out. Pain is important in our lives. I hated that year and a half. I still hate it. I mean, I look back at that job and I think, man, that was the second worst job I ever had. You know what? The first job I jumped out of, <laughs> it was jackhammering bridges on I-40 at the swing shift. So like I'd show up at four in the afternoon and go until like one or two in the morning. And I'd come home and my hands, I couldn't even like, I couldn't even close my fist because of the jackhammering. It's just, and, and I'd be laying in bed and I could feel my whole body going. <laughs> so if you see me twitching, it's probably that. It's, but I had to stay in there for a year and a half. And out of the blue, this engineer walks in and he says, Jeff, I hear you have your master's in mechanical engineering. <laughs> and I'm sitting there holding a part in some sandpaper looking at him, some headphones on. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not a druggie, I promise. I actually did some work. I did some study. I could have said, I deserve to have a better job. But I submitted my will to God. 
I submitted my career path to God. And he came in and he says, Jeff, I'm going to see if I can get you out of here. And I just looked at him and I said, I'd be happy to. <laughs> and, the, and the next week I was in his office as his office mate doing computer modeling for some of the work that uh, he was working on. I was so thankful. Every day I walked in, I was like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your provision. Thank you for that year and a half of suffering that I would really be able to be grateful for this opportunity. God, God just turned something around in my heart during that year and a half. I, I was a cocky engineer. Instead of looking at my own shoes, I was looking at everybody else's. I mean, this, like, I just, I had become filled with pride. Oh, I'm really smart. I got my master's degree. And then you go to Sandia and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm dumb. I mean, they got all these PhDs around here and stuff. But God wanted to work something inside of me. There's an interesting thing. Um, the, the Navy SEALs have this training. If you ever get a chance, like, I think it's on like Nat Geo or one of these Discovery Channel or something like that. If you ever see the Navy SEALs training, um, or uh, I can't remember what they call it. The, I think they call it the Crucible, actually. Navy SEALs, the Crucible. Watch that. You want to talk about men going through pain? The one part that jumped out at me, um, by the way, I'm not getting to the second half of my sermon, so uh, next week maybe. Uh, we'll see. When they go through the crucible, like I'm watching and they're like, uh, they'll have eight guys lay on the ground and they have to lift up a telephone pole type thing. It's a big log, heavy, and they put it over their head and then they bring it up and they, they sing songs while they're doing this. And, and they're in this sand pit and they work them so hard that they'll start to um, get sick just from dehydration or being tired or whatever. And the drill sergeants are like, don't you puke in my sand pit. Don't you puke in my pit. Get out there. And so you see these guys, like they can barely crawl. And they're, they're crawling and they get over the edge and they vomit outside the pit. And I'm like, this drill sergeant is so unfair. Now, a drill sergeant has never felt like, I need to be fair to these men. No, they have a purpose. They have a job to do. And so, and as soon as he's finished puking, the drill sergeant's over there like, what are you laying around for? Don't you wallow in your puke? You get back over there and you push up that log. You get back with your team. You know, maybe God, maybe God wants me to come to you and say, get out of wallowing in that puke. Go get back in the work. Go work hard. Embrace the pain. Let's get moving. <laughs> and maybe it's not me. Maybe it's someone else. But they... They go through this entire thing. They have 72 hours where they keep them awake. And then they have to go on what they call the star course. And so they basically have to go from a point to a point to a point, and it forms a star. And in that time, they can't get captured by any of the uh, other cadre. And, if you, and they put little monitors on your chest to, ch to keep track of your heart rate and, and GPS and everything. You're not allowed to go to sleep for like 72 hours. So they've just worked you to death. And then they put you on the star course and it's, you're out in the middle of the dark. You can't see anything and you're trying to avoid all these guys. You're like, man, I'm really tired. You know what? I'm just going to lay down by this log and kind of find a nice little hiding place. 
And when you wake up, there's two cadre right there because they've noticed on the monitors that your heart rate's dropped really low. And they have the GPS and they'll just come right up. And you'll wake up feeling better and they'll say, you're out. Boom, you're gone. But the thing that really got me is they have a water test. And they put the seals in the pool and they go through, they have to tread water for something like eight hours. And so you do the dead man's float and then you come up and you tread water or whatever. And at the end of that, they take a cadre and they pull the seal down to the ground and they drown them or, or down to the bottom of the pool and they drown them until they stop breathing. And then they pick them up and they pull them out of the pool and they resuscitate them. And what's happening is there's two things that are happening. Number one, mentally, they're realizing I can take a lot more than I ever thought I could. I can take a lot more than I ever, than I ever thought I could. And the second thing they're teaching them is I can trust the men that are around me. So if God's bringing you through the crucible, you know what his ultimate goal is? He wants you to die to yourself. But he's not going to take you to the bottom of the pool until you let him. If you fight, he's like, nope, you're out. We're going to start the process all over again. And so he has to do something inside of our, our hearts and inside of our minds so that we realize that we can't do what God's called us to do. We, a lot of us have a dream inside of us of, yes, I know I'm supposed to do that. And God wants to bring you through the crucible. And some of you right now are like, I can't do it. You're right. But you've got to press into God and he'll walk you through that process. It's interesting that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were basically worshiping uh, the God of Isaac, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were worshiping God. And I can't remember the king in Babylon. I, um, I think it was Nebuchadnezzar, but he actually put them in the fiery furnace. It wasn't Nebuchadnezzar, but he put them in a fiery furnace to, basically as an example to all the people. And when they looked in that furnace, there were four people. There was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and God. And God was right there. And all the Babylonians were like, what is going on? You never saw God when they were just going to the feasting tables and eating. God didn't show up to the Babylonians when um, they were in their prayer closet praying with Daniel. He showed up when they were in the fiery furnace. And that's when people outside saw that God was there. So when you go through your trial, God's not just saying, this is just for you. He's also showing people outside of your trial, hey, look what they're going through. And look at the heart that they have to serve the one and living God and to die to themselves for him. Does that make sense? Can I, can I challenge you? If you're going through a hard time, push into it. 
don't run away from it. Man, I'm still learning a lesson right now. Interim pastor, what is this God? Like, I did not sign up for this God. But I press into God. I'll tell you, five years ago, I would have folded. I'd have been like, Matt's out, I'm out. Sorry, you're on your own. I can't do it. But God did something in a job at Sandia where he, he put me in a pressure cooker. I was interim manager. There's that interim word again. I was interim manager for three months. And literally the day after my manager left and I became interim manager, like everything was cush. And the day after he leaves, there's a big blow up with all the flight tests for this particular weapon. And so suddenly I'm having to lead this effort to talk with other countries' air forces, our air force, Tonopah test site, which is where they do all the flight tests, uh, Los Alamos, Sandia Labs, all of their managers and stuff. And I was like, I got thrown into the wolves. And I came home after that first day and I just didn't know what I was gonna do. I was beside myself. And um, Sarah says, well, Jeff, I love you. Now, I don't know if it was like, I'm glad that you're going through it. And I'll love you through it. But. but when she said that, something in my heart was like, that was from God. God's like, I love you so much that I want you to go through this. I want you to see me as bigger than all these problems. See, that's the other thing that God does is suddenly when we go through these trials, we realize all these problems, they're not as big as they used to be. Remember how big graduating from high school seemed? Right? My, my oldest daughter is getting ready to graduate from high school. And, and for her, the world is like so big. And now we're like, ah, high school, ah, that was easy. And you, and you move into the next step. And you move into the next step. And you move into the bigger thing. And you move into the bigger thing. And pretty soon, all these giants seem so small compared to God. And then you become a wise sage. And you're going to the young people of the church and you're saying, oh, when it was my day. You know, the whole walking uphill both ways and stuff. But, but in reality, people that are soft-hearted and have been through the crucible, they're telling you, God is bigger than this. Press into God. And if someone's telling you, hit the eject button, that's not from God. Can I just say that? God calls people into the crucible. God calls you into pain. And that's such a beautiful thing. Because he doesn't want us to stay the same. You know what I mean? He doesn't want us to stay the same. So right now, let's just go ahead and stand up. Can I just say that Maybe this morning in my preaching, I, I got out and my, I'm ankle deep in the water right now. Like, I, I would say that like a third of that was in my notes. And the rest of it was in my heart and God was like pulling it out. If you're asking yourself, when was the last time I changed? Why, why is everything just like blah? Why is life, let's have the worship team come up. Why is life just kind of, eh? 
maybe it's because you're not willing to go into that crucible. And God's trying to pull you in. He's like, okay, I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you wander in the desert. You're going to dry out and you can either get hard hearted or you can turn around and start following me. God wants you. God wants you. He's calling you to something that you have no idea what it's going to be like. Last week, Alan Hawkins, he says, if you knew all the things that were going to happen in a marriage, would you still get married? And everybody's like, yeah, I would still get married. But, but it's like, you have no idea what's going to happen. If, I had, if God had told me at the beginning, like when I graduated high school, if he says, these are all the things you're going to do, I would have said, you're lying, God. There is no way I could do all of that stuff. I thought, I'll just get an engineering job. I'll play video games. I'll uh, go to movies, take vacations, and that'll be my life. I'll find a wife, maybe, <laughs> if, if I can find a wife that likes an engineer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I raised my nerd flag very high. But I, I just thought, but man, that would have been boring. You want to see God move? You want to see God active in your life? You want to... You want to pray for people, watch them get healed? Go through the crucible. And so if you feel like I'm dry, I'm weary, I don't feel like I have a future, I don't feel like I have a hope, I don't feel like I'm being used by God, right now, I just want you to raise your hand and I want you to say, God, Finish the work. God, if I need to go in the oven, finish the work. And don't let me hit the eject button. If you're the person that jumps from relationship to relationship, or from job to job, or from church to church, or whatever, God, help me to persevere and finish the work. God, finish the work. There's a prayer team in the back corner. I would encourage you, if you prayed that prayer, go back and, and have them pray for you. And find someone to walk through this with you. Find someone that will help you stay in that oven, that will help you stay in that crucible.
triumph of the cross. 